Okay, so here we go with another Books of the Year question and answer session, known in the business as the Q and A. Is that what I think it is? Right? Yeah, very smooth. Well done. And uh, Matt's involved in this one. Yes, I am. Ready to? We're just going to flip flop. Yeah, like we do. Is that yeah. okay? Okay, you go. And first. the uh, uh, and receiving these questions. Have you received them ahead of time, Charlie? I might have done. Okay, Charlie Conley. Let daylight in on that, mate. Absolutely. Take is behind the curtain. Last train to Hilversum. So. Charlie has not seen these questions before. <laughs> he hasn't prepared them to make him sound intellectual the way everyone else does. Uh, this is completely spontaneous. Question number one. The last book you really, really enjoyed. The double really uh, gives this an mm -hmm. extra heft and emphasis, I think. So the last book I really, really enjoyed was a novel called The Gallows Pole by Benjamin Myers, okay. which is, I think it came out last year or the year before, and it's a historical novel about coin clippers in Yorkshire in the 18th century. And it's just a beautiful book. It's a really, really lovely novel. It won the, well, I think it was the Walter Scott Prize for Historical Fiction. And it's about a gang, uh, real people, these people really existed, a gang of people who would clip coins and melt them down and, and, um, and make money that way. Kind of early 18th century gangsters, basically. And he just writes this incredible... Uh, I mean, you can almost smell the earth in the landscape. It's pungent and it's just beautifully written and he kind of writes a fake prison diary by the, the guy that leads the, the the gang of clippers and it's in this kind of half-literate dialect and it's just, it's, it's, it sounds like it's, uh, it might be a bit, a bit heavy going but it's, it's just, it rattles along and it's an incredible novel and I'd recommend it to anyone. That is the last book I really, really enjoyed. Okay, so it's The Gallows Pole by... Benjamin Myers. Benjamin Myers. A number of people would have just thought Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Because they have a track called Gallows Pole. Yes. Yeah. Uh, OK, Benjamin Myers. All right, I'm, I write these down because sometimes I order them, you see, oh. and if, I'm in, if I'm intrigued, and uh, then I get more learned. Then you look more impressive when people come round as well. So, That's yes, right. Gallows Pole. Look at this. All about the coin clippers. I have um, to say that it was the cover that actually convinced me to buy it. It's got a really, really beautiful cover. Uh, and what's on the cover? It's a kind of silhouette, a, a black silhouette of a man with lots of hair, and he's got two red eyes that are sort of burning like a devil, but they're coins as well, you see. Nice. Mm. And it's kind of got a sort of 60s look to it, 60s vibe to the cover. But it's, it's yeah, wonderful okay. book. Okay, I'll look out for the gallows pole. Very mm. cool. Uh, your favourite book on radio? My favourite, there's actually, radio has been ill served by books, I think. So, it, I mean, um, my choice is actually one I, uh, that. that came to me straight away but there aren't a lot of books about radio that aren't kind of really kind of nerdy ones for people who, who are really into old radios and how things work and that kind of thing like you like me well i don't know how they work and i don't want to know how they work so i avoid the kind of really technical geeky stuff because then it stays magical but uh, my favorite radio book is a book called Radio Head by a writer called John Osborne, not the playwright um, look back in anger, John Osborne, a guy from Norwich, in fact. Uh, and he wrote a book called Radio Head that came out, it's about 10 years ago, and all it is is him listening to a different radio station every day. And then he goes and talks to the people involved with the radio station. And he does like, um, I mean, he came out 10 years ago, so there was still kind of Radio 7 then. And and, um, and he talk, goes to sort of local stations. And it's just the most warm, lovely tribute to radio and listening to the radio. And he's a really, really, really good writer. Um, it's very, very warm, very personable. And the, the love of radio just burns through this book. So my favourite radio book is Radio Head by John Osborne. OK. Uh, what book, if any... Do you remember being read to you as a child? 
Um, now, I've listened to a few of these podcasts before, and there's often people who say they weren't read yeah, to as a child, yeah, which yeah. I think is, well, it's kind of, that's terrible. But I, I, I remember, I think my mum and dad did read to me, but the one I remember is my nan. We, just, we used to get packed off to my nan a lot at weekends. I don't know what my folks were up to. Um, but we would be tucked into these uh, blankets that were, uh, you couldn't move. You were virtually cocooned in these blankets. And my nan would sit down and she'd read Pinocchio to us, uh, me and my sister, who was two years younger than me. And thing that she did, though, was every time we went to stay with my nan, she'd pick up Pinocchio, sit down next to the bed, and start from the beginning every week. So I can virtually recite the first chapter of Pinocchio, but the rest of the book is literally a closed <laughs> book to me. I just know that there's a block of wood at the start. So does that mean that you don't know how it ends? I don't know how it ends. I never saw the film or anything. Wow. So. OK. Uh, and uh, it's interesting that you just talk about bedding, just on a slight... <laughs> Because you you do remember when you go and stay with your gran, you remember yeah. the fact that you know it, the sheets were you know probably Brentford nylons, <laughs> <laughs> the blankets were rough. You know the kids today they've got the duvet, thank you very much indeed, and all that kind of stuff. But back in the day, it was, your gran had the worst bedding. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, if you had a hangnail on your toenail, it would get caught in the sheet down the bottom. Oh, man, alive. If you had Brentford nylon sheets, I've never had those. Have you not? Why well, they? Alan like... Freeman did all the did, did all the ads for them. Brentford nylons <laughs> on the television. Yes, and he because uh, I spoke to Fluff about it, and he said he did all these ads. He got a lot of money uh, from it, and then Brentford nylons they went bust. You know, and they and the and they, uh, the guys who. <laughs> They'll obviously have to check this <laughs> or not. The guys who run it scarpered, they disappeared. Sorry. So, so because Fluff had charged no, nothing so much to do for with, his voice. Nothing to do with Fluff. <laughs> the point here is nylon sheets were no good. And when you turned over in bed, static went... Well, wasn't that a problem with fires? Because nylon, I, I mean, I don't know much about these, but I'm pretty sure nylon's flammable, isn't it? You wouldn't have something flammable. I don't know. We're already <laughs> moving into territories that I know nothing about. And when I was tucked in tightly by my nan, if they were on fire, there was no way I was getting out from beneath them. I no, no, clearly. Um, is anyway. there a book, yeah, anyway, is there a book you'd love to step inside of? Yeah, um... My first thought was actually uh, Ulysses, James Joyce. Wow. Because for Check a start, you out. This well, is impressive. Well, Hello, ladies. Oh, it's Ulysses, <laughs> I think you Well, for right. a start, if I just hung out with Leopold Bloom for the day, I wouldn't have to read the book. <laughs> uh, because I haven't read the book, like 99.9% .9 of other people who have copies of Ulysses even, I haven't read the book. And I used to live in Dublin, so I, I, I know the, the, where he goes. Those buildings are still there because Dublin, you know, there's a lot of the Georgian stuff is still there and you can still go and buy lemon soap from Sweeney's the Chemist. But I I think the choice I would make would probably be uh, Offshore by Penelope Fitzgerald, which uh, was a novel that won the Booker Prize in 1979. And it's about the houseboats on the Thames. And Penelope Fitzgerald herself uh, lived in a houseboat on the Thames, and it, unfortunately it sank with all her possessions on it at one point. But she writes this beautiful book about the Battersea um, houseboat community. And it, I, my family on both sides worked on the Thames for, for, for generations as dockers and things like that. So I feel a connection to the Thames anyway. And reading this book, and it's about life on the houseboats and this kind of little quirky, uh, slightly nuts community there. And it just really appealed to me. I mean, it's a hard living. It's cold. It's damp the whole time. But the way Penelope Fitzgerald wrote that book uh, made me want to step inside those houseboats and step inside that novel. If you want to uh, email us at any time, it's books of the year at yahoo.com. Let us know about the bedding at your grounds. <laughs> How long would you give a book, Charlie? Do you always finish it? Do you stop after 50 pages if it's not really your thing? 
I've always thought I was a finisher. I'd always, my first reaction was to say, yeah, I finish every book I read. But then when I sorted out my bookshelves the last time I moved house, I noticed so many of them had bookmarks and bus tickets and train tickets about 50 pages in. And they're all books I've started. And I wouldn't say I didn't finish them or abandon them. I'd say I haven't finished them yet. I think I'm too enthusiastic. I'm too, I, I, I'm a sort of easily distracted. So I see a, a book, I'm half, I start reading a book, and then I'll be distracted by another book that looks really good. So I'll start that instead. And before I know it, next to my bed, I've got a pile of about 10 books that I've read about 50 pages of each. So I'm not a finisher. I'm a, I rarely finish a book. It's, it's a real achievement to finish a book. So, But all I'll say is I haven't finished them yet. Good for you. Yeah, I'm still on page 23 of yours. I hope that's... Uh... <laughs> wow. There's a certain breadth of questions coming up. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Um, when was the last time you used a public library, Charlie? I used a public library for the la- for the last time I was going to say there. Uh, the last time I used a, a public library was towards the end of last year. Um, and I live in Deal in Kent, and um, we've got we're lucky enough to have that rare thing is a public library, and it's still open seven days a week. Wow! So I like to think I, I, I want to try and use it as much as I can because that ain't going to last, no. is it? That once they realise there's no sort of profit on the bottom line and in that library, then then they're going to you know, cut that back because I mean I grew up with a really lovely library, and I grew up in quite a kind of rough area of southeast London, and it had this library that was a modern one-story building. It had cages over the windows and it was covered in graffiti but it was a magical place i'd go to on a saturday morning and i had three little cardboard tickets that were all furry from overuse and i worked my way through all the asterix books and all the tintin oh, books yeah. and and this little really deeply unattractive whitewashed one-story prefab building with cages on the windows just opened up the entire world to me um and usually in cartoon form it seems that was my gateway to getting in was the asterix book yeah, yeah it's yeah. like you know it's cartoons isn't it a whole shelf of them and you think you think oh can i only yeah. get three today yeah. Worthing General Library, the only reason I went in because it had a record library and the discovery that you'd actually take records out. Yeah. It was a pretty poor collection, but I remember getting Walter Carlos doing uh, Moog music. Uh, yeah. And then his later albums were by, he, he then became Wendy Carlos and they were still doing the same. Moog music. It wasn't a great. Is Moog music? Is, is that prog? As in Moog synthesizer? No, he'd be it, doing like Moog versions of well-known hits. Oh right, okay. And switched. Yeah. Was it him that did switched on Bach? As I think well, it was him. He did yeah. Moog versions of Bach hits. Uh, your favourite DJ autobiography, if indeed you have one. There aren't that many. There aren't that many, but um, I've got to say, uh, Danny Baker's trilogy. I, I really enjoyed those um, because I think. Uh, he is a great broadcaster. I think his personality comes through the radio and his personality comes through those books as well. And we're from sort of roughly the same part of uh, South East London as well, so I could identify with a lot of that. But, uh, but yeah, I was struggling to think of one of them. It was actually on my way in today. My, my wife said to me, well, what about Danny Baker's? You love those? I was like, oh, of course. Because otherwise I was going to have to go for Olive Shapley's Broadcasting Life, which would have been a bit obscure. Johnny like Walker it. did a good one. I've not read that. Which I can recommend. Mm. And... Simon Bates did one. See if you can guess what the Simon Bates memoir was called. Was it uh, something uh, Golden Hour? No, no. almost right. Uh, oh, think of another feature. My tune, uh, would it be something? Our. Our tune. Our tune. Ah. Well, actually, my tune would have been better. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't have got the reference. Maybe it you? was my tune. Ah. My tune. Maybe we can check that. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> do we have to check things as much on a podcast? No, I don't think we do. Can't we just be wrong with yeah. style? Yes, well done. Uh, now, obviously, your your book involves you travelling to to Hilversum mm. in in the Netherlands. So, do you have a favourite travel writer? Yes, I do. My my favourite travel writer is Jan Morris, who has been writing for many many years and produced some really great travel books. And I think the reason I love Jan Morris so much is she's got that knack of a really good travel writer where she doesn't 
just go and describe the buildings and the vibrant markets and colourful sunsets and all that kind of stuff. She'll alight on something, a, a conversation she's had with someone or just a, a museum, even just a piece of street sculpture, and she'll make that represent the entire place. So you will, you will think you've been there and you'll think you'll know everything about the atmosphere, the culture and the history of that place just through one little incident. I think that's an incredible... It uh, is. It, that, that is the, actually the secret to good travel writing is don't talk about the place because nothing's more dull than reading pages and pages of descriptions of, oh, the sunset's amazing and it's dappling over the blah, 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 I don't care. Tell me about the people. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's sunsets everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about you, Matt. It is. <laughs> uh, what book always cheers you up, Charlie? The Code of the Worcesters by P.G. Woodhouse. Um, the best of the Jeeves and Worcester novels, which I think is really saying something because they're all brilliant. And The Code of the Worcesters has got everything. Bertie getting engaged by mistake. Um, they, it, it, his Aunt Dahlia and he goes to Totley Towers and has to steal an 18th century cow creamer and he gets into all sorts of scrapes. And I think Woodhouse is probably the greatest writer this country's ever produced. But because he's a gag man, he doesn't get the credit he deserves because we like our literature to be a bit more a bit more uh, dour, a bit more austere and challenging. Whereas Worcester, I mean, I think it was Griff Rees-Jones uh, who said that Woodhouse gives you three laughs on every page, proper belly laughs on every page, and there's very few writers that can pull that off. That's the first time anyone's chosen some P.G. Woodhouse. It is, uh, I think. Uh, Charlie Connolly has been answering the questions. His book is Last Train to Hilversum. Uh, you can hear our interview uh, with Charlie going into all the delights of radio uh, elsewhere. You can download that. Charlie, thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.